and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for the Muppets movie. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my cohort and friend Julio. Julio, we are setting sail on, I believe you coined the term Muppethon here, with uh, going back for today to 1979 as we begin our journey through the many years and many different iterations of uh, Jim Henson's Muppets. Yes. It's it's happening. It's uh I think that it's appropriate Alex because we spent the month of November kind of uh out of our element. Uh, even when we did something like Fury Road, which was a movie that obviously we're familiar with, but it was still a movie where we are it, it's just us against the world, right? And then and then we did uh the Doctor Who movie which we are not Whovians, and then we did Dead Alive, which is definitely not not our cup of tea. There was a lot of just us against the world. Then we did on, on Patreon, we did Singham, which was certainly a brand new experience for us. November was just out of the box for us. Uh, so it kind of feels right that December would, would be more about comfort food as we head into the the Christmas holidays. And uh, I think that anybody that's listened to the show for a while knows that, that Muppets is something that we share an appreciation for. Uh, even if we've never really talked about specific movies, so so yeah, the Muppethon is it couldn't have arrived at a better time. Yes, we're going to. Uh, fortunately, for the purposes of what we do, the Muppets franchise uh, yields itself to alternating episodes, be it rotten or fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So, in the end, we're not here just to take down one of the most beloved franchises of all time. There will be a definite ebb and flow throughout this, and course in the end like we always do with these uh journeys arcs uh what what have you we'll be sure to recap it and bring it all home but for today yeah we're taking on and assuming the role the daunting task here and the um intimidating role of trying to <laughs> cut down to size 1979's the muppets movie <laughs> the original where it all began in many ways uh if this is your first time listening to the contrarians thank you for tuning in uh if you're a returning listener you know, we got love for y'all. Give us just a second here while we explain what it is we do to our potential new listeners. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh. And what we'll do with that is cut it down to size. We will uh, make a case for 
uh, maybe why it's a bit overrated, maybe some of the aspects of it that were the negative aspects that were overlooked, poor performances that were swept under the rug, you know, what have you, just uh, all in a case to say, you know, that certified fresh logo, that IP that Rotten Tomatoes is so proud of, ain't always giving you the whole truth. Uh, on the opposite side of the coin, we'll find a lowly movie. Uh, usually about 30% and below is where we aim. Uh, those nasty green splotches known as rotten. And we'll make a case for that film's positive merit. Some of the aspects that were overlooked of it are some under-celebrated acting performances. Uh, again, just to, we're here to help you learn that Rotten Tomatoes isn't the whole story. Uh, and that you can be as over the moon or as negative about anything as you absolutely want to be. Uh, but that comprises the first portion, the first half of our podcast, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, in each and every episode, we we do make sure to uh, express our true feelings and discuss how we uh, actually process and feel about the movie that we've watched. That's correct. On the second half of the show, the aptly titled Real Talk, uh, that's where Alex and I just tell you how we feel about the movie. We stop pretending that we hate it or we love it according to the tomato meter score, and we just tell you how we feel. What did it make us think about? In this case, I hadn't watched the Muppets movie before, the original. So this is my first time. Alex, I've seen it a few times, I think. I've mm-hmm. heard him uh, bring it up before uh, with uh, with positive connotations. So I kind of have an idea what I'm getting into in real talk. And honestly, after the, the little warm-up that we did on Facebook, uh, I think that he has a pretty good idea of how I feel also for real talk. But still, it'll be fun just to to be really negative in the first half and let's not kid ourselves probably probably be very positive in the second half okay. um, still you know you'll you'll get the specifics of our positive feelings once we get to real talk it is the Muppets after all but yeah 88% on Rotten Tomatoes it does have one of those certified fresh logos uh, comprised of 52 reviews curious the <laughs> The contemporary ones and then the ones that have been submitted since. Um, looks like a lot of recent ones actually just scrolling through here. But Julio, you always take the time to comprise a few uh, different quotes that kind of summarize the critical consensus. So uh, what do you have for us today? I got three quotes from uh, the Run Tomatoes website, starting with Jason Shaham from Nashville Scene, who says, There are a few things as pure and inspirational in all senses of the word as the Muppet movie. Pure? I don't know about that, because I will get into this, but I think that uh, Miss Piggy, in particular, is, is a little too sexualized. Impure? A, yeah. <laughs> Impure? At least a little uh, adulterated, maybe. Um, next, Stephen Farber from New West says, Suffice it to say that I think this movie is funnier than Manhattan, more romantic than Hurricane, and a more sophisticated speculation on illusion and reality than last year at Marion Bad. I, I want to believe that would have been a contemporary review because at any point in time post like 1998, bringing up a Woody Allen movie in comparison to the Muppets would seem kind of <laughs> off base. <laughs> Um, so why not, man? Go for it. You got the material there to reference. Uh, I certainly, having just watched Manhattan for the first time recently, I certainly didn't feel the need to compare the two movies. <laughs> can you can you recreate uh, Manhattan with Muppets? You know, how's it like Muppets Treasure Island? There's Muppets Manhattan. Kermit wearing glasses, being neurotic. And- <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 
Yep. Uh, Finally, Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times says, Jolson sang, Barrymore spoke, Garbo laughed, and now Kermit the Frog rides a bicycle. If you can figure out how they were able to show Kermit pedaling across the screen, then you're less a romantic than I am. I prefer to believe he did it himself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, on our Facebook uh, preview for this, we actually discussed that. But hey, that's fair game. That's one of those that just that's how my brain's wired. I immediately was like, how the fuck did they do that? Uh, But (laughs) movie magic, baby. It's less and less prevalent these days. So watching stuff like this is, uh, I would say, a breath of fresh air, but it's 42 years old so take that for whatever it is (laughs) a breath of musty air i just love that roger ebert was blown away by kermit riding a bicycle and he doesn't mention that Fozzie was driving a car (laughs) that's more impressive (laughs) it's a bit yeah how did this uh bear get his fucking license uh (laughs) what state what state did he get his license in because they're going all across the country here it's wild all right, Julio. So I guess we shouldn't waste any more time. We're going to have to speak negatively about the gang here. Um, so the Muppets movie from 1979 released in the summer of 79. The Brits got it three weeks before us on May 31st, uh, whereas it had a United States release on June 22nd. A movie from Henson Productions. We get the title signature at the beginning with Kermit. Uh, Julio, we both watched this on Disney Plus, correct? That is correct, where it has that uh, magnificent extra, uh, what would you call it? Like a label, a banner, something. It's just like the original. Yeah. Uh, I guess because they're afraid that somebody would get it confused with the 2011 Muppets. I mean, it's possible. But that one's just the Muppets, and this one's the Muppet movie. Yeah, Jason Siegel went much cleaner with his interpretation with just (laughs) the Muppets. Should have just been Muppets. But we start off in the most Muppet fashion possible and julio something that i had a hard time with watching this is understanding that this was the original one but you and i have lived through a lifetime of muppets material so we know kind of what to expect from them and the you know meta opening from them here do you find this tiresome because the whole opening is the muppets themselves are going to watch the movie that we're going to watch along with them do you find this tiresome or do you more settle on the side of like god they've been beating this drum for 40 years since 1976 you know um they've been just going back to the well over and over again with the same style of humor. Do you find it tiresome to watch this in present time? Or was it in the back of your mind the whole time of like, man, they've really stretched this thin, the style of humor. A little bit of both because I, I hardly ever find it amusing to begin with, not just with Muppets, but in general, any sort of a self-referential movie, it's, it's never as clever as it thinks it is. And this movie is no exception. It's a, what I got, knowing that this was their very first feature film, what I got was this distinct impression that it was a property, a TV property, trying so hard to make the jump to the big screen. And at the same time, going for kind of like the easiest way to to impress, which is to make a movie about making a movie. Uh, it was unimpressive. There's nothing special about the Muppets on the big screen that you were not getting with the Muppets on the small screen, except that when you blow them up into the big screen and they are no longer in a variety show, but instead an actual movie, uh, they're just not as funny and they're not as as clever as maybe they could fool you into thinking that they were on the TV show. So when they do something like this, where they're in the screening room to watch the movie about how they got to the screening room, I'm like, that. yeah, that probably played better as a five-minute skit 
on the TV show on Muppets Tonight instead of a movie because you have to keep up that that pretends that level of weirdness for 90 minutes and I don't think that the movie kind of I don't think that it succeeds at that. So we launch into the Muppets movie now they they fire it up in their private little theater that they're watching it in and so we're watching what they're watching and I guess it's their private screening of it. It's not completely flushed out here, uh, but we open with Rainbow Connection, obviously a song that is tied at the hip and is almost, you know, in some respects married to the uh, Muppets franchise. And again, understanding this is the beginning, but, you know, I've lived through this franchise for my life, so it just it seems played out. And that that does does fall on me and uh, coming into this with that mindset, uh, understanding it's the original one. But uh, it goes back to what we were just talking about, beating the same drum for going on 50 years now here in a few more it's an okay song is there a cover of it you prefer i do like the dixie chicks cover i liked when eminem uh did it at the oscars but (laughs) i mean that's just like a once in a lifetime kind of thing generally you get this really bland banjo bullshit and here's the thing i i just realized watching this movie that i'd never listened to the whole song I was like, my God, when does it end? It goes on forever. They, I just realized that every time I've listened to the Rainbow Connection in any type of context, it's just the first verse. You know, usually you hear the first verse, they cut to something else, and then they come back and the song is over. You know, it's, they're just doing the final chorus. So the just self-indulgence of playing the entire thing, and there is nothing going on. There's no plot. It's just long shots of the, the forest and then the swamp, and then we get to Kermit and he's playing the song and it's like can the story start that's it yeah i i did not like it did not care for it i think that now i like rainbow connection less than i did before the movie started dom de louise shows up in the swamp just out of nowhere and he's a hollywood agent who informs kermit you know he shows him an ad in the paper that there's someone looking for uh to cast a frog in a performance and so this ignites the idea and Kermit said this lights the fuse of uh, I'm going to go to Hollywood and make a better life for myself than just staying in the swamp here it seemed like he had one friend who was an alligator but there wasn't really much else going on for him there <laughs> uh, did you know that this was Don DeLuise or did you have to look it up I thought it was uh, John Belushi I knew it wasn't John Belushi uh, th- <laughs> this is one of the cameos I knew the face but I couldn't put a name on it so I had to check following it uh, so Kermit sets off and it becomes a road trip movie. Not unlike most Muppets movies, uh, you know, there's a destination of some sort and half of the story is getting there, but he sets off on the idea of making people happy and making money and whatnot. He comes across first, uh, Fozzie bear. Uh, they are reconnected and this is where it started to unfold. Julio, the 2011 one, basically, you know, people criticize, Force Awakens for just being a new hope. I didn't realize how much of the 2011 Muppets is just a rehash of this movie. Yep. You could even say that maybe most Muppets movies are a rehash of other Muppet movies. I think there's always hitting the same beats. I mean, how many times can you just hear Fozzie Bear tell a bad joke? And this movie spends a solid five minutes with him on stage being painfully and funny. This is the most Waka Wakas I've heard in one single scene and it's just god punishing did you uh did you recognize the uh, this is cameo city how many of these people did you recognize though i freaked out when tully savalas was at the bar he was a patron there i thought that was hilarious and um carol kane who shows back up again at one point you know of course lily from 
Kimmy Schmidt, amongst other things. That's what I associate her with most commonly now. Uh, Madeline Kahn, right? Is she the yeah Telly Savalas's girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and who's the guy that's the owner of the bar that is gets thrown out of his own bar? Is it James Coburn? Yes, it's James Coburn. Yeah. There's just, uh, uh, I mean, kudos to you if you're like pulling all this directly from your brain. I had to just go to my phone to figure out who are these people because I could tell the way that the movie's shot. I'm like, oh, this must be someone. It's not just a random actor that came out. This is the movie is holding the, the the director was holding the shot as in like ah, ah see it's 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 somebody famous somebody famous in 1979 like it's the year 2021 so I had no idea who these people were and that I think kind of uncovers the the fatal flaw of this sort of gimmicky approach to storytelling that that's all over the Muppets franchise. Uh, when all you do is keep bringing cameos from famous people, well, that doesn't really age very well unless you have some major stars that everybody's going to recognize 20, 30 years down the road. So, of course, when you see Orson Welles, you know Orson Welles. But, man, Telly Savalas, I mean, how many people, listeners, <laughs> do you know who we're talking about right now? Can you picture him? Who among us? Well, even James Coburn, you know? Like, I know James Coburn mostly from, I think, Maverick. Uh, the movie, not the TV show. But still, I mean, I wouldn't expect anybody to recognize him. This is just... In, in this day and age, you would think that they would have just kind of CGI'd new cameos into this movie. So at least it would feel as relevant as it did back then. But no, it's just... They can't be bothered. And so it just feels very dated. And uh, I could intellectually... I understood the appeal of the cameos. But emotionally, they meant nothing to me. Because I had zero connection with these people. They start making a. This is, by, I think, the second or third reference to Reverend Harry Krishna, and in the bar here, this the jokes come from like I've lost my way. Oh, you should try Harry Krishna. Yeah, in the bar here, someone references that, and Kermit <laughs> looks at the camera and he's like, "Oh, it's a running gag." Uh, must have been groundbreaking for the time, but Jesus, with all the fourth wall bullshit we have now, it's not funny. That does not age well. Kids will watch this and be like, is this like Deadpool? Is that what this is supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Deadpool, but sanitized. Not a single curse word. Muppets, not as edgy as uh, you would wish they were. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know, I guess now I do, that the original duo were Kermit and Fozzie. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that this is canon. This is the the secret origin of the Muppets, um, which probably my biggest surprise was is coming in a few scenes, which is that uh, Scooter was not always Kermit's right-hand man. Yes, that kind of blew my mind, too. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, and uh, so to find out that, that it's Kermit and Fozzie that started the whole thing, it was just... I mean, I guess, but it, it it doesn't seem to match. Like, I don't see, I don't understand what they have what they have in common, because th- the movie doesn't seem to settle on whether Kermit is really smart or he's just very gullible. But if he's gullible, then it doesn't make sense that he succeeds at the end. And if he's smart, it doesn't make sense that he keeps attracting all these losers. And uh, there's nothing. I mean, Fozzie has a car, but by the time that he, you know, when he befriends him, he doesn't know that Fozzie has a car. So there's no value to to making friends with this bear that can't tell a good joke to save his life. 
so that's weird. You know, it would make more sense for me to for him to have somebody like Scooter. And it's just that's that's a team. Kermit's a dreamer and Scooter is the guy that makes it happen. So yeah, that was that was weird to see that so much of the movie is devoted to this completely random friendship between uh, Kermit and Fozzie. Yeah, a uh, necessity of needing a vehicle, but also, you know, uh, forging a friendship. He convinces Fozzie to come along with him. Uh, they take off in his brown Studebaker. Uh, we do see this town they're going through, though. Um, there's a French fried frog legs restaurant franchise that's going up and Hopper's. And it's played by Doc Hopper, who's the entrepreneur. I'm sorry, it's not played by. The character is Doc Hopper, the bad guy of the movie. Plays by uh, Charles Durning, who for me is fresh on my mind because he's the bad guy in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which I watched during my uh, Halloween, I guess not marathon, but just my horror movies in October. Almost the exact same character here. (laughs) See, obsessed with with frog legs in the, the Scarecrow movie as well. I mean, he's obsessed with killing, so... Yeah, but there you go. Well, he starts off here kind of amicable. He wants Kermit to be kind of the spokesman, like the Ronald McDonald for his frog leg joint, right? Yeah, yeah, because he sees him dance with Fozzie on stage, which was, uh, you know, going back to Roger Ebert, freaking out about Kermit riding a bike. I imagine that watching Kermit and Fozzie dance must have been also this... I don't know, inception moment where they couldn't believe what was happening, uh, right? Because on the TV show, uh, you don't really see their legs. And here, it's just like, and they hold a shot. I could tell. I know part of it Part of it is just that I'm so removed from 1979 that when I see that, that sequence, all I can think of is, oh, man, they're showing off the fact that you can see their legs now. There's oh, yeah. no real purpose. And I guess Charles Durham, I mean, he... He sees that and he's he's like Ebert. Like, I can't believe that frog can dance. <laughs> How are they doing it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so Kermit splits town. He, he wants nothing to do, understandably so. He's not going to impose, you know, cannibalism uh, with this frog leg stand. So he takes off. He Him and Fozzie leave town. But um, Charles Durning, he is determined to get his way, be it, you know, amicably, or as we see, resorting to firepower and eventually bringing in hired guns and shit. He quickly goes from like reasonable to just bloodthirsty um, <laughs> in an amount of time that leads you to believe there's a reason he's the only frog leg joint in town. He's a ruthless <laughs> businessman. <laughs> uh, yeah, we get to move in right along as Fozzie and Kermit uh, begin their trek across the country. We get a Big Bird cameo. Julio, do you have much attachment to Sesame Street? I mean, enough attachment that I recognize them. I recognize Big Bird, and that's pretty sad because I didn't recognize 90% of the cameos in this movie. When your most popular cameo is Big Bird, that says something about your movie. Liberal woke god Big Bird, you know, public enemy number one of uh, (laughs) the Republican Uh, Party right now. He got the jab. Yeah. He's not uh, invited to the Republican National Convention, I heard. (laughs) I'm sure he's crushed (laughs) by this. We come across Electric Mayhem. And if you've seen a Muppets movie at this point in your life, you know all these characters, but you got to remember this was like introducing them to the world. Uh, it, it is asking a lot of trying to just bear with it, given that and having seen all the movies that we've seen. But we see Electric Mayhem. They're in like an abandoned church. Uh, Dr. Teeth in Electric Mayhem, excuse me. And uh, their manager, Scooter, as you pointed out, this is something I completely forgot about, that this is kind of Scooter's origin story is that he's the manager for Electric Mayhem. And what do they say the reason he is? Is because he has a van and he drives him around. Yeah, it's the road manager. 
because he has a van. This is the most I've heard them talk. Maybe as we go through other Muppets movies, that will turn out to be just something that I've missed. Uh, but they they don't only I mean they talk a lot in this movie and they're active participants in in the movie. They actually have a role to play in the plot, which was surprising. Personally, I've never been much of a big fan. I think that Animal is kind of a, a one joke character, and the others are more like two joke characters. You know, the fact that they all talk like they're in drugs, and also that they're just uh, I guess they're supposed to be making fun of uh, hippie culture. Maybe it was funnier in the seventies. I just don't really don't really get it now. I think these it's more fun to make fun of musicians these days. Uh, I'd rather make fun of I don't know Ed Sheeran or uh, <laughs> you know Jennifer Lopez. But the the guitar player or is it bass player? What what does Janice play? She, according to her Wikipedia page, she's a guitarist and backup singer with the flower child personality. So she is <laughs> so Penny is she- Lane. <laughs> Yes, uh, but so is she supposed to be a reference to Janis Joplin? I would assume, or just you know, women of that ilk in that era, because that's kind of in poor taste. <laughs> I don't, I don't like that. But yeah, I, I, I just don't, I don't find them as amusing as, as I think that the majority of Muppet fans do. I mean, they've they've endured, and there's it's just so weird that they have been updated. You know what I mean? Like a. When you see this band, even in later movies, they're still stuck in the same rut. They're still the same stereotype. And they are the kind of characters you would think would evolve as as the decades go by. Which is a shame because, you know, maybe they would have gotten into a more interesting type of comedy if they were not the same characters that they are here. But yeah, not not a big fan. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, though, like, what, what are your thoughts here in this scene, too? Because we get the whole uh, more self-referential of... He asks how you brought him up to this point, and Kermit tries to recount the plot, and Fozzie just tells him to read the screenplay instead. And so, you know, they bring it up to speed, and the guy says, and they meet Electric Mayhem, which am us. Uh, <laughs> what is going through people's minds in the theater when they see this shit in 1979? You know, these puppets thinking that they're better than the whole film industry, <laughs> thinking they're above it all, and kind of just throwing it back in their face. I mean, these TV puppets. <laughs> Again, yeah, we talked about that back in the time where, you know, there were some people that probably just like the nerve of these fuckers thinking they can turn their TV show into a a movie franchise and then throwing it back in their face. I think this was definitely a critic's dream, but the audiences, by and large, at that time, didn't know what to make of it. That's what my guess would be. Yeah, I mean, the implication. Critics eat it up because anything that can be done to make it. Uh, make you know that the people making this think they're better than you. That's the type of shit critics lap up. Yeah, from a from a just common person storytelling point of view, the implication that comes with just revealing that Kermit and Fozzie have access to a screenplay of the movie that they're in, I mean, how they they have a window into the future. They know how the story ends. Again, is Kermit so dumb that he didn't think to look at to read the screenplay all the way to the end to see how it all turns out? Like, I wish that they had given us an explanation as to why the screenplay doesn't become this vital item in their quest. But instead, it's just, it's used for a a really dumb gag here. And then even worse, at the very end of the movie, it becomes this sort of like a 
uh, Deus Ex Machina kind of thing where it just it just saves them at the last minute with no mm-hmm. with no real reason for existing. So yeah, it was I, I was not a fan. It's so hard not to feel like oh okay now we're just meeting more characters. Uh, again, you know, we talk about this all the time when we do older movies of trying to put yourself in the mindset there, but it's a lot different when you're dealing with something like this. Like I said, that's been ever present uh, throughout our entire lives. It'd be like us trying to do like a new hope and not finding it to be predictable or, you know, expect to see everything that's coming. Because the next scene, we Gonzo and Camila crashing into Kermit and the uh, Muppets that he's with. And then they like double decker the car. It's one of the most impractical car wrecks I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, you might be able to help me out with this with your Muppets knowledge. Is it ever explained why Gonzo wants to fuck that chicken? Is she like no. the only person that really ever listened to him? No, and I didn't realize that is this the most overt they've been about it? Because, uh, you, you know, the most recent ones, they they allude to it, but not in a way. Like, like Gonzo is all up on this chicken in this movie. And mm. it makes me wonder... If we've just grown more, uh, I mean, this is good that we've grown more <laughs> conservative when it comes to showing how much he loves, uh, how much he's into chickens. It's not just Camilla. I mean, he is into chickens all all over. Um, Don't kink shame, man. When he meets Miss Piggy, he's like, "You'd be perfect if you were a chicken." <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know. But it's it's it, it's all throughout the movie, and it's it's pretty disturbing. Uh, much more so than whatever's going on between uh, Piggy and Kermit. The relationship between Gonzo and Camilla is just inappropriate, I think. <laughs> At least it, it deserved more exploration. If you're going to go there, then go there all the way. Um, also surprised to find out that Gonzo was a plumber. I mean, it's oh, just yeah. it's a throwaway gag, but I wish that... If you're going to bring that up, then, again, follow through. Is the fact that he was a plumber be relevant to the story later on, right? Maybe he solves a problem by using his plumbing skills. But no, it's just like, oh, haha, he's a plumber. And that's never referenced again. It also made me realize that if Gonzo is not performing insane stunts, I don't really care for him. Like, that's when he's funny. He's funny when he's just doing crazy shit, which, again, works well in the format of a TV show, of a variety show, because he just comes into stage, does something crazy, leaves. But when you're stuck with him, on a road trip, and he's not performing crazy stunts. He's just there cuddling with the chicken. He's really not as compelling a character as the other ones. Very inconsequential. Yep. Which is weird because, you know, he's he's the most interesting looking out of all of them. So they end up uh, trading in the Studebaker and getting a new car from fucking Milton Burl. And this is where we meet Sweetums at the used car shop. They get a car for 12 bucks. It's uh, I forget what happens. He accidentally puts the wrong price tag on a car after they trade in the Studebaker. He gives them $12 for it. And the, the, he accidentally puts a sign on this car that says 1195 and Gonzo says, you owe us a nickel. Um, okay. I thought that Sweetum did that on purpose. No, I think I didn't catch that. If he did, I thought he was just being like a, a bumpkin, like a, a moron and not paying attention <laughs> to what he was doing. Okay, well, because I was going to say, I feel bad that he went out of his way to help him out, and then they bail on him. But if he was just an idiot that accidentally helped him out, I guess I don't feel as bad. But then they take off without him, because that's the whole gag. That's in everything. That's Sweetums. He's always just a day late and a dollar short type of thing. <laughs> Does it, do you find him disturbing? Because he's actually like a human with a giant head. 
No, oh, oh, oh. no, not really. He's the one <laughs> real person at the Muppets 3D at Movie Studios in Orlando. The you know the Muppets 3D thing, and there'll be an actual person in a Sweetum suit that comes out looking through the crowd. It's it's the best. Does he chase you? It's like wait for me. <laughs> They end up at a county fair. This is where uh, Elliot Gould has a cameo uh, we had mentioned earlier. And this is where we meet Miss Piggy. She's the uh, wins the beauty pageant in whatever fucking county they're in in middle America. It, love at first sight. She sees Kermit and this is, you know, she goes into full on daydreaming about or seeing their future flash before her eyes. Excuse me. And uh I am a sucker for Kermit in like in outfits, and especially when they do it in the confines of like Piggy, the the way he looks and like you know the he's got the puffy shirt, the Seinfeld thing going on, and some of these uh, flashback or these daydreams, excuse me. And then of course Muppets 2011. I called this out when we did this on movie reviews and 20 Qs. There's the shot where he has a turtleneck and he's wearing a blazer over it. Comedy does not get much better than that. They overthink so much of this movie. It's really just put Kermit in different outfits and it's going to be funny. Uh, but Piggy sees him, love at first sight, big montage of what their life together could be like. Yeah, I, I find it reassuring in the worst possible way that even going as far back as the 1979 first movie, you can always count on Miss Piggy to sing the worst song in a movie. It's a combination, I think, of the voice and just the neediness i have no time i i never i've never had but especially now that i'm a full-grown adult i have no time for her obsession with kermit and it, uh, just the t- nature of their toxic relationship so anytime that the movies or the tv shows stop to kind of celebrate this relationship i just ugh, it, I, I find it gross and then the the song doesn't help because it's just I think that all these songs, the songs in this movie, I would be okay with them if they were just like 30 minute or 30 second snippets. But the fact that they put on a full production number, it just uh, it's just too much. We get back to back cameos from Bob Hope and Richard Pryor. Uh, just to give you an insight to how easily Jim Henson was able to swindle all time celebrities <laughs> to do cameos <laughs> in this movie. Richard Pryor tries to help... Uh, gonzo get laid he's like selling him balloons and you would think he's just trying to sell him so he doesn't have to do it anymore but he's really doing it with this air of like your woman's gonna like you if you do this for listen do you want to fuck this chicken or not (laughs) yeah bottom line brother you want to be fucking this chicken tonight or what 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 do you want to do um so what about bob hope he gets he gets one joke and it's kind of a i guess a 1979 equivalent of a honey i never even met her yeah it's so dumb (laughs) In between USO tours here, had five yeah. minutes to shoot this cameo. He hands Fozzy ice cream that never melts. <laughs> it's a problem when the movie doesn't have you. All you can focus on are these really stupid details <laughs> that don't add up. He brings out honey, honey ice cream, and a, what is it, butterfly ice cream for Kermit? Yeah, and it says don't don't mix them up. Yeah, but he doesn't scoop the ice cream into the cones. He just reaches into the thing, and the cones are already like made. And then Fosse grabs them, and they're not you know it doesn't look like ice cream. It looks just like plastic. And then I don't know how much time later he runs into Kermit, and the ice creams are still the same. <laughs> they're not melting. Like, come on, they, you can't praise the 
technical wizardry of like, oh, they can move their legs now, and then they can't make ice cream look real? Come on. Hey, man, you said it. God damn it, Ebert. Uh, the county fair just evolves into chaos as, you know, these Muppets are <laughs> causing, wreaking havoc. Uh, and Piggy wants to go to Hollywood with them. Sweetum shows up. That's what happens. That causes just incites panic. And as he said, he's kind of freaking out. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he definitely has a startling appearance. So <laughs> when he shows up there at the county fair, it, it definitely uh, arouses suspicion and outright panic. Uh, but Piggy wants to go with uh, the gang. And she misinterprets kind of something Kermit said and thinks she's going to go off with them. And uh, then she finds out they're going to Hollywood. So, of course, this piques her interest even further. Uh, Kermit says they can talk it over. So they end up going on a dinner date that night. And we get the Steve Martin cameo. Of course, Steve Martin would have been one of the bigger, more popular comedy personalities at the time in 79. So a big get. He's kind of tame, but he's still kind of over the top he's and just kind hamming of hamming it up. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely hamming it up. I mean, considering that most of the cameos have maybe 10 seconds of screen time, it's a little insulting that they gave C. Martin this much screen time and he did so little with it. In the sense of like, he just kind of is mugging for the camera and really not doing much to take the moment with him. It's just kind of like, here's Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. His whole thing is that he. He doesn't seem to be pleased to be serving uh, Kermit and Piggy. Like that's it. That's all he does. Like oh, he's annoyed. He's acting like he's annoyed, and he keeps coming back. Okay, give me somebody else. Just like I have it in my head because you know I just watched that show. But uh, Martin Short could have done something with that character. Martin Short could do something with a lot of things. So I agree with you there. Yeah. We meet Rolf, who's one of my favorite Muppets. If not my favorite Muppet, he's the piano player at this uh, restaurant they're at. So that made me happy to see a familiar face back on the screen. A familiar uh, <laughs> puppet, I should say. Uh, um, do you find Rolf uh, a little redundant, though? Because we already met a piano player. Like Mr. Teeth, Mr. Tooth. Not like Teeth. a lounge singer, though. Yeah, I mean. Rolf is way more like, I already used the word professorial in our recording this evening. So I'm trying to think of a better word. He's more wise and well-spoken. He's like Sam Elliott and Up in the Air. He just kind of, you know, <laughs> tells you what you need to hear, even if you don't know it. Or, you know, you're not aware that you need to hear it. So bi- big uh, supporter of Rolf. Is this your favorite song in the movie then? Um, I don't know about that. The I mean, Chicks Man song. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, moving right along is a banger. And uh, if it didn't play over and over again, I I'd, I'd definitely would have a soft spot for Rainbow Connection. But... Hopper's back in the fray. He abducts Piggy to lure Kermit out. He's like, if you want to see your girlfriend, you know, walk outside right now. And he does. And like 10 guns get drawn on him. Kermit goes, are you the guys I'm supposed to be meeting with? (laughs) (laughs) So they both get abducted. And the plan is that Hopper has a mad scientist, Professor Kressman, who's played by Mel Brooks the incomparable one. And the plan is he's going to put this device on the the head of Kermit. It's going to brainwash him and have him help out with Hopper's advertisements. And right when you think it's going to happen, this is where we get the first insight into Miss Piggy's fury and her abilities and her uh, karate skills and whatnot. Cause she just rips out of these shackles and just beats the shit out of everyone. She even works in a 
indie wrestling style balcony dive where these guys just stand around waiting for her and she jumps off and wipes them all out. And um, she she kicks she kicks Mel Brooks and Mel Brooks is cross-eyed and he's like, a pig going bananas? What is this, a luau? Now this is... As, as much as I've been complaining about the, the movie's cameos, I think that this is the one that really hits that sweet spot. And it shouldn't be surprising because Mel Brooks, consummate professional, this is his yes. element. He's he's a comics comic. So, of course, he would just make the most out of this little cameo as a mad scientist uh, that I guess is German. Uh, there's the one where he's describing the machine and he goes like and this as we call it in Germany is a switch or a lever (laughs) Uh, the only problem is that it it highlights even more how subpar all the other cameos have been and will be because this is a guy that's actually it's a well known actor that is still well known today and he is at the top of his game he looks like he's excited to be there he is he's actually being funny he has a character he does lots of things you can't say that about all the other cameos which are just like oh come in for one really lame gag and here no i think yeah. that they they did mel brooks justice mel brooks he has an did, actual did the part justice yeah 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 yeah. um i was kind of like bummed that that was it that he didn't stick around uh for till the rest of the movie so that's great now the miss piggy thing i have problems with because my first thought when she was abducted was, this is not Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy would never get abducted. Kermit is the one that gets abducted. Mm-hmm. But then when they reveal, when she, she ends up rescuing Kermit, and they reveal that she is a fighting machine like we know her to be, then I realized, okay, that means that she allowed herself to be abducted so that she could allow Kermit to to save her, and, you know, to manipulate the relationship. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. This is this actually making me making me invested in this this sort of uh, the shiftiness of this courtship. But then the movie doesn't go anywhere. You know, like they kind of have like a, a bit of a falling out because she abandons him when she gets a call from her agent, uh, and then they pick her up again later, and and that's it. It's never discussed. It, it there was never a moment where Kermit went like, "Hey, go come! You're a badass. How come that you could have just <laughs> busted out of uh, that place?" long before they strap me to a machine where they're about to brainwash me. And again, just like the Muppets having an interesting idea and then dropping the ball. So she helps clean the house and then she gets a call from her agent and says he's got a commercial or something for her. So she just takes off. She's like, all right, I'm out of here. Uh, Kermit, of course, is able to convince her to stay. But at this point, we get a brain wrap on the movie. The <laughs> film burns up and we find out the Swedish chef is the projectionist up there and he's having issues and he finally gets it back. He only loses about two or three minutes. Uh, the movie fires back up. Kermit. Who's the little frog that's with Kermit? Is that his like nephew? Is it, nephew. I, I, yeah, I, I think that they, okay. she calls him or he calls him uncle. That's right. That's right. Never seen him before. Him. He says, this is the patriotic part. And Fozzie, with no provocation, sings America the Beautiful uh, with many vast scenic shots of the countryside. So I just realized this in the, I guess, the time that we lost due to the brain wrap. Is that when we're supposed to, you're supposed to assume that that's when they asked uh, Rolf if, the, if he wanted to join the, the trip? Why not? That's what I, mean, I took he's, from it. he's already in the car when we come back. 
the hunt is on for Kermit, though. Hopper has enlisted like a ringer. He brought in like a hired gun, a legitimate assassin to take him out. Now he just wants vengeance. He does. I don't even think he cares about his frog legs empire anymore. Speaking of which, you ever had frog legs? Uh, no, they're pretty fucking good. I was thinking of that watching this. I was like, man, I, I want some frog legs now. <laughs> really? As you saw poor Kermit singing his heart out, get his heart broken. You're thinking, I would Dude. like to. Like when I watched Super Size Me, the first thing I did was go and get a Big Mac meal. Like after that movie, I was just like, God, I want some McDonald's right now. So I'm I'm the wrong person to talk to about these things. <laughs> but Kermit is alive. Well, I don't want I don't want to eat Kermit. I wanted frog legs. It's the equivalent of saying that after you watch Super Size Me, you wanted a bite of Morgan Spurlock. <laughs> I wanted to eat Morgan Spurlock. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the car breaks down uh, along their journey. Uh, Gonzo gets his musical number out in the middle of the desert as they all crowd around a campfire. He sings like Shatner. He does. Yeah, he definitely has that <laughs> rock it man mentality about him. <laughs> Cadence, not mentality. Electric Mayhem shows back up to save the day. They've got their uh, bus uh, or van, whatever it is. And this is where the screenplay gag pays back off. Like you said, if this if they had this, why didn't they just stop the car from breaking down in the first place? <laughs> yeah, the, the why didn't they stop uh, Miss Piggy from being abducted? You know, I mean, I understand that there's some things that you don't want to mess with because they they have to happen so that you know the the butterfly effect. You don't want to change something little and then the future changes. But at the same time, if nothing else, I would have liked Kermit to be very underwhelmed by everything just don't be surprised by anything because he already read the script so he knows that it's it's coming but instead he he seems to be caught off guard every time that something weird happens and yeah that's just it's just so so lazy you know you paint your characters into a corner and then how do you get them out of that corner that's that should be the exciting thing that the thing where like the audience doesn't see it coming but in this case it's just it's not playing fair everybody's always talking about how clever the muppets are and this is not clever at all so Kermit knows what needs to happen, and it's need to, he needs to confront Hopper. He says uh, he says it's time for a showdown. So you know he takes uh, inventory of you know his weapons supply, and he stocks up, and he begins to mentally prepare himself, not unlike uh, Maximus Meridius, Russell Crowe, and Gladiator, right before he fights Joaquin Phoenix at the end. Um, Charles Durning is a bit more of an imposing figure than Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix, though. So Kermit's got his work cut out for him. They, uh, it, they, it's framed like a Western. They, you know, go to have their showdown because, you know, there's all these gunsmen after Kermit as well. They meet. What's the name of the scientist? Oh, shit. Professor Honeydew? Is that him? Okay. Because I know his assistant is, uh, Beaker. Beaker. Yeah. Yeah. They, they frame this Western style showdown. It's, uh, what's a Western we've done? Lemonade Joe? Uh, <laughs> sure. It's a little, it's a little bit different than that, but. Yeah. <laughs> Although musical numbers, at least. Yeah. So Kermit gives him his uh, his spiel. He just gives him the rundown about you know his hopes and dreams and his feelings. Family. And, yeah, family. You probably had hopes and dreams and friends and people you love too. You know, I'm just trying to do this to make people happy. That type of thing. And if you if you don't think that's right, then just go ahead and kill me. <laughs> and Hopper says, "Okay, kill him." Uh, <laughs> Which is one of the more realistic things to happen up until this point in the movie. Like we said, it's become clear that Hopper's a ruthless businessman, so shouldn't come as any surprise. Uh, as they begin the firing line for Kermit, though, uh, when we're introduced to Professor Honeydew and Beaker, he shows them these growing pills, Instagrow pills. 
uh, long before the days of Viagra and, and the sorts. Uh, um, Just Beaker walking around with a raging boner. <laughs> Meep me. Uh, and so Animal, of course, gets into these. And one of them, you know, makes a, a, a prune grow four feet. So, you know, extrapolate that to the size of animal. And we get Mecha Animal. He just grows out of this fucking building. And he's gigantic. And this scares off all the bad guys. And they take off for the hills. Uh, Kermit and the gang make it to Hollywood. And they make it to the offices of... Wait, how did they shrink Animal? It's not explained. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's a Muppets movie. If it is, I missed it. Yeah, but my thought was just like they're temporary pills. Much like Viagra. (laughs) That's, <laughs> uh, eventually uh animal ejaculated and went back to normal size jesus christ <laughs> we've talked about two muppets penises within like <laughs> 90 seconds of each other yeah uh dr bunsen i just imagine telling him like and if you remain this size for more than four hours consult a physician <laughs> But they make it to Hollywood all in a gang to meet uh, studio executive Lou Lord, who is the one who put out the casting call. Uh, we get a Cloris Leachman cameo. She is the secretary. She's allergic to all them, has like a sneezing fit. They go in and we see Lou Lord, the producer and studio executive, is indeed Orson Welles, who, like I mentioned, he's like the final boss. He looks like the final boss from Final Fight <laughs> that you have to beat and throw out the window to save the girl. And. It's really they weird just, because Kermit and the gang, they react like like he is Orson Welles. But he's not Orson Welles. He's supposed to be this Lou guy. So It's like uh, Ocean's 12 with the whole Julia Roberts thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's supposed to look like Julia Roberts. Yeah, it, I mean, it's classic Muppets. They're just like, hey, we're here for the job. And Orson Welles has the line of uh, draw up the standard rich and famous contract and gives them all a job in Hollywood. And we get the grand finale of them shooting their movie, the Muppets movie together. And we get a rendition of Rainbow Connection on this big, gorgeous soundstage with these beautiful sets. And, of course, Gonzo fucks it all up because that's what Gonzo (laughs) does. And he knocks it all down. Uh, There's an explosion that knocks a hole in the uh, roof of the soundstage. And a rainbow comes in. And this is what uh, in the Facebook video preview we talked about. 250 fucking puppets here being operated as they sing the the crescendo to Rainbow Connection, telling us the audience to keep dreaming, keep hope alive, keep you know chasing after that that rainbow as it were. And the the lovers, the dreamers, and you is how they sign out. And it's just kind of like, okay, who's going to clean this up? And <laughs> that's not really. They were making a movie within a movie, but then they stopped that movie and then they started looking at us again. So I, I don't know what the fuck to make of it. And that movie that they made was, I guess, it tracks, but it's still very uh, unsatisfying. That it's just a recap of what we watch for ninety minutes. So yeah, it's it, even worse. It's a cheap recreation because it's just cheap sets. Of it's like watching the, uh, you know, some dude doing his own YouTube version of The Dark Knight, and it just yeah, you can recognize the plot points, but it doesn't look as good. It doesn't have Christian Bale. It, or Heath Ledger, it, it, that's kind of like it's it's just a very truncated, cheap version of the movie that you just watched. It's like the end of Sixth Sense when Shyamalan starts having those flashbacks to um, giving Bruce Willis those flashbacks to things that we already know. Same yeah. thing, just 
really, this is the ending. This was the climax of the movie. And then, you know, you cut to the to the audience, the, the, the Muppet audience that have been watching this movie. You didn't even get their full reactions. It's all just, uh, again, snippets. Like, I really wanted to know what uh, Sam the Eagle thought about the movie. Because he seemed appalled. And rightly so. But the camera cuts away before he can say anything. And then uh, Stadler, I think it's Stadler, that's just passed out. Like, did he die? Did he fall asleep? <laughs> the The movie opens with them promising that they were going to uh, heckle the movie. They never heckle the movie. Like, there's a moment where, you know, when the brain wrap happens, and they're like, oh, you know, this movie sucks. But that's it. Like, I really thought that we were going to have a couple instances where you got the... Uh, mystery science theater 3000 scenario where you see you know the little silhouettes of uh of the two old guys just heckling but no that never happens just a bunch of missed opportunities i don't even know what the final image is it's animal saying go home i think oh yeah that's right that's right yeah i was gonna say sweetums breaking through the through the screen but that's right before the credits yeah so it basically laid the groundwork for the same movie to be made over and over and over again for the next 40 years. Nothing changes. Nobody evolves. <laughs> I, I find that... No the, one ages. No. The the more successful or at least more interesting takes on Muppets when it comes to movies is when they're not playing themselves. I mean, that's the problem. Their, their characters are made for television. And mm-hmm. somebody like Kermit, I mean, he's too bland to really carry a movie. But when you put Kermit as the, the captain in Treasure Island, you're like, all right, well, at least that's a character that, you know, is played by Kermit. But you know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. that makes it more interesting. Uh, so if you put them in A Christmas Carol or, you know, I guess we're doing Wizard of Oz next, like, that is better than just... Uh, the Muppets as themselves, because they're so one note. They, they don't really have much in the way of character. And even at 90 minutes, you can just feel like, uh, I, I'm just ready for this to be over. And it is. And so we've completed the first stop on uh, the, the Muppethon with the 1979 original and did about as good as we could trying to be negative about that. <laughs> yes. It's the fucking Muppets movie. So Julio, I think we're ready to... Get to the more positive and the more how we really felt about this. You ready to move along to real talk? Yeah, I'm ready to stop being a Stadler. And I guess you are the other guy. Waldorf. You're Waldorf. Yeah. All right. Let's go to real talk. A frog and a bear seeing America. Moving right along in search of good times and good news. With good friends you can't lose. This could become a habit. And we are back. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. 
This is where we let patrons know what they can expect on our patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, it's December. That means a new set of QVRs, a new patron exclusive. Uh, On the QVR side, you have been assigned, my friend, a movie called The Devil's Candy. And this comes courtesy of uh, Ryan, who, who gave us Hancock. So, that he did. All he said was that uh, it should be up your alley because it's a horror movie. It's got Contrarian's icon, Ethan Embry, in it. Yes, that's why he mentioned it. Okay. Have you seen it before? I have not. And I am getting a documentary called The Most Hated Family in America, which is by a guy, I don't know if you remember, a while ago uh, in an After Hours, I mentioned uh, it's a documentary called Tickling, about people, about the the, the underground industry of tickling competitions oh yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so that that documentarian it's i guess he's made a whole bunch of other documentaries and this is one of them so yeah the most hated family in america check out our uh our patron channel later this month for my quick video review of that alex's quick video review of the devil's candy and also later this month jamie russell is giving us carlitos way as the patron exclusive uh i've never seen it have you seen it I have not. It's a definite blind spot. Yeah, I remember that uh, back when it first came out in Peru, they were uh, selling it, marketing it as Scarface 2. <laughs> Where is the Scarface? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess because Pacino is in both movies and they're both directed by Brian De Palma, but I don't know. Uh, I, I know next to nothing about this movie, so I'm excited to... Uh, Check it out. That will be also on the on the Patreon feed, uh, along with just what you've come to expect, our cutting room floor segment, our uh, pre-recording notes, and, of course, Contrarians After Hours. Our Patreon spin-off show, where we talk about other things that we've read, that we've watched, that we've played. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? I recently binged Glow finally from start to finish, so I have a basket of thoughts on that. So I will be discussing the Netflix original series Glow, peaks and valleys. I was going to say in all its glory, but it's definitely not all glorious. So that will be my topic of discussion. What about yourself? Uh, Alex, I'm going to be throwing it back to an earlier uh, After Hours when you told me about the short film anthology. uh, Fuck. Parisian, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I I watched it. It's on Tubi. Yeah, let's compare notes. We're gonna do that, and then also I I finished reading Little Children, the the book that the movie adapted later on, uh, the movie with Kate Winslet, uh, Night Owl, and uh, Rorschach. (laughs) Fuck, what are their names? Patrick Wilson and. Fuck, I was going to say Haley Joel Osment because he's got a three for name. But... <laughs> no. <laughs> Man, why am I blanking uh, on this? Dukes from Semi-Pro. Jackie Earl Haley. Yes. Jackie Earl Haley. Kate Winslet, Patrick Wilson, Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, I, I like that movie a lot. And uh, so much so that I decided to read the book. And now I have thoughts. Have you seen the movie? No, it sounds soul-crushing. It's it's not as soul crushing as you would think, mm. uh, but I'll, I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about the book, and 
uh, hopefully I'll inspire you and listeners to try at least one of them. But anyway, that's what we have in store uh, this month on Patreon. So if that sounds interesting, any of those things, uh, check out our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash contrarianprime. Uh, that's where you can see what tiers we have. You can decide to contribute and be part of the Contrarian Supplements. You know you want it. If you're this far into the episode so far, you know you want more of this. It's only a buck. You can go there and throw us a dollar and get all that material. Uh, cutting room floor, after hours, our bonus episodes. And then we have our $3, $5, and $10 tiers. The more you pledge, the more you get. Uh, our patrons that we have right now, you know we love y'all. And we're always taking applications. We're always accepting uh, new hires, I guess you could say, uh, to our patron page. <laughs> but yeah, if you've made it this far, you know you want to hear more of our thoughts on things, and that's a good place to go to. Uh, and by the time of our next episode, we will have unveiled our next patron project. So our current patrons, uh, stay tuned. We got something coming up special for y'all. And hold if on you're to not- your butts. Oh, hold on to your butts. <laughs> and if you haven't already signed up. You're going to want to fork over that uh, George Washington. It's just a dollar. You're going to want to throw it our way uh, for what we have coming down the pipe for y'all. Um, so patron.com slash contrarian prime is the place to go. And again, I must always give the warning. Please don't take this as a challenge. We don't want to watch Martyrs or Cannibal Holocaust or something like that. But <laughs> there's a legendarily bad movie that you want to hear Julio and I feign praise for. Bring it. We, we've already watched Hancock, so we can't get any worse than that. All right. Well, let's go to real talk now, Alex. We, we put the patron behind us, and now, now we can, can just be ourselves. Let's go to real talk. Some Muppets, man. It sucks being negative about it. It's, it, it's it doesn't su- Yeah, I was about to say, it doesn't suck. It's, it's hard. And like for anyone, like isolating clips from that, not that that would happen, but people who don't know what we do, just being like... I found the two guys that hate life so much that they want to cut down the Muppets, uh, <laughs> which is not the case. Julio and I, as has been discussed before and as will be discussed, the further we get into this or it will be more extrapolated upon big, big uh, fans of the Muppets and trumpeters of their cause. So uh, very fun to revisit where it all began. Of course, it began with the show in 1976. Uh, but with this movie, this was the launch of it. And something you brought up that I didn't even really think about uh, in the first portion, we talk about all the time, the separation of church and state at this point in time, which was still the separation of television and film. Uh, big risk from Jim Henson, taking that from the success it was on TV at the time to trying to make a film. And it paid off. I uh, got a handsome return at the box office. So, And all, oh, that whole thing where it launched a franchise that is still profitable almost 50 years later. I mean, to this day, uh, no Sesame Street movie. To this day. To this day, I can tell you, Rizzo's Pizza Shop and Muppets 3D still stand at Disney uh, Movie Studios. It's one of my favorite places to go to. <laughs> it's uh, it, For a while it, at the park there, it was kind of like a chill area. One of my favorite Disney stories ever was going there in February of 2014, and we had after hours passes to movie studios. You know what after hours is? Uh, no. Is it after like you, the, the park is closed? Yeah. So if you like stay on property at some places, you get extent, they call it magic hours. I think it has some gimmick name, but it, basically you get to stay in the park longer than the general public because you're staying on property. So oh, is it uh, just for patrons? <laughs> yeah. Patrons of Disney. <laughs> uh, it's just like two hours or something, but you have no idea the world of difference it makes. 
in 2014 we had that and it was like a tuesday or something so it was like a weekday so there it wouldn't have been anything special to begin with anyway the whole point of the story was this was years before the star wars land was built there in movie studios and that kind of that end of the park where the muppets 3d was was kind of not desolate but um definitely not the heaviest in people traffic and it was like night, it was like nine o'clock and I went there and it had rained before we got there. And so everything was kind of wet and it was just kind of cool and crisp and there was a breeze coming through. And I was just kind of walking there by myself and I walked over to the Muppets 3D area and I was the only person there. And I sat on uh, the fountain there, the Miss Piggy fountain they have just to kind of relax. And uh, Rainbow Connection started playing over the PA like when I sat down and I was like, this is like... <laughs> from a movie like it's like if i scripted this it would sound unrealistic so i love it i that's one of my first things i have to do every time i go to disney is uh, go to the movie studios and see the muppets 3d yeah it's the same eight minute thing every time but i fucking love it and there's a big uh standee in the waiting area of kermit dressed as bruce springsteen that <laughs> is just kind of <laughs> hidden behind shit. And I remember the first time I found it, I just like lost it. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I guess I'm one of those weird Disney adults and that there's parts of that park that I do use like magic on earth. The Muppets is like the biggest one for me though. That's like my central point when I go there. It's my totem, I guess, to reference Inception. <laughs> so that's all to say, you know, I got, I collect a lot of shit and some of that's Muppet stuff. I got plenty of it and, it's going to be interesting as we go along here trying to feign negativity about it because it is something I love very much. And started here with uh, the Muppets movie, 88% of Rotten Tomatoes. It is not the highest rated. That still belongs to the 2011 Jason Segel one, which uh, is a just absolute gift. Uh, mm-hmm. But Julio, we started with the positive quotes, so we got there's got to be some negative at 88%. And... Who are these people and what are their addresses? <laughs> Who are these soulless uh, critics? Well, James Kendrick from Q Network Film Desk says, While the Muppet movie is thoroughly entertaining, the shift to a coherent, linear, feature-length narrative deprives the film from the show's brilliantly structured inanity. So this is one of those people that was like, nope, this is this belongs on TV. It does not belong in the world of feature films. Uh, I disagree, by the way. I mean, I don't know how how much I know you you're a big fan of the movies, but how familiar are you with the with the show Muppets Tonight? Is it Muppets Tonight or just the Muppets Show? It's just the Muppet Show. It's the Muppet yeah. Show. Um, I think you probably have seen more of it than I have, but uh, you know, I have some on DVD and just watch stuff on YouTube. Um, it was like. You know, its own kind of version of The Tonight Show in some aspects of mm-hmm. celebrities. And uh, it's, you know, we talk about SNL in some aspects of being like a, a time capsule of pop culture at that time. Uh, not in some aspects, SNL definitely is that. But in some aspects, The Muppet Show is definitely the same thing. I love, I remember in college watching just on repeat a lot, the drum off that Buddy Rich had with Animal. Where, you know, Buddy Rich is... <laughs> one of the more influential drummers ever and he would do like this beautiful really technically proficient solo and then it would cut over to animal just ah, timeless <laughs> shit like that um but did you did they do whiplash at some point caravan i'll count you in <laughs> 
so <laughs> was this on TV in Peru? What, what's uh, when did you start watching the Muppet Show? It was on TV. I grew up with the Muppets on TV. I one of the the many gifts that my father uh, bequeathed on me it was just. I guess, raising me with the Muppets on TV and making them part of my childhood. My dad more than my mom, but of course my mom also, you know, was, I guess she allowed it. <laughs> but uh, it was a, it, it was a constant. So I grew up with Muppet culture around me and knowing the characters, uh, mainly Kermit, which a uh, little bit of uh, trivia here. Uh, Kermit is not Kermit in Spanish, at, uh, at least not in Peru. They called him uh, René. <laughs> so he's he is a uh, la rana rene which would be like you know rene the frog <laughs> why would you change kermit to rene i don't know <laughs> it's not like kermit has an actual translation so i don't know was he still uh, green he was still green he was still <laughs> they didn't like you know cgi <laughs> the muppet into something they censored else. his was, color out I, it's not like I remember specific plot points or you know skits or whatever. I just remember the the feeling of watching the Muppets show and the and the songs and the characters and the just kind of the lunacy of it all. So whenever I watch them as an adult, whenever I watch the movies or just experience them in some sort of media, it it's it's all of a piece. Which is why when uh, James Kendrick says that, I guess he laments the the. The, the property lost something going from TV to movies. Like I don't really get it because to me it's it's almost like a, a seamless transition. The the tone and the the spirit of the Muppets continues. And, and, you know, this you watch this movie and it's just the most natural extension, I believe, for of what the show was. So all this to say, James Kendrick, you're wrong. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Fuck you, James Kendrick. <laughs> Plain and simple. Let's go to Ted Whitehead from The Expectator, who says, The cast are all here, along with the technical wizardry, but the dialogue staggers from one leaden gag to another, and there is an unmistakable note of desperation throughout. Desperation, Alex. That is very dramatic and wrong <laughs> if that yeah it's very wrong too it's one of those things i'd almost be willing to give this guy a mulligan if that was written like in the review the weekend it came out in america uh, but mm-hmm. if it was something written like at any point in time after the second muppets movie came out uh it's just <laughs> definitively wrong like if that was the first time you saw their style and how they were going to deliver these things i could see maybe thinking like this is weird and it seems like they're just trying something new just to be new and then you know history is definitely proven no that's just how that's what makes a muppet movie it's weird because the way that he refers to the cast and the technical wizardry it makes it sound like he's a fan of the show but then he criticizes the humor and like i just said i i I believe that the humor is the same i mean it's just you know we're talking about doctor who a couple episodes ago (laughs) it's like uh, i i felt that the the Doctor Who movie kind of reflected what I've felt that is the tone of the, the series. And the same thing same thing here. If you find the gags leaden in this movie, then I don't know that you would have been enjoying the show to begin with. So it's just really weird. And finally, John Scow from Time Magazine says, The transition from the yank em off if they bomb lunacy of the TV show to the coherent narration of the film is not a complete success. So another guy that was not convinced by the the jump from TV 
to film, which Alex just goes to reinforce your point about how how big that divide used to be and how it's certainly a lot easier, I guess, for TV and movie talent to kind of go back and forth these days. You would think the Muppets would be exempt from that because they're not real people, but <laughs> still. <laughs> nope, they had already planted their flag in the TV land, so they had to they had to stay on their side of the fence. I don't want to get too far into, you know, ranking these and talking about which is our favorites and why because we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh we got a lot of muppeting to to thon to marathon. We got a little... <laughs> It's good. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to like work it more in uh, in a versatile manner, but so we can we can focus about this movie in, in yeah, particular. Yeah, yeah. Let's just focus on this and not compare it elsewhere. Just kind of, I'm kind of telling myself this and laying the groundwork so that I don't keep veering off and talking about other ones. Julio, this is your first time seeing it. I've seen it a few other times. Some parts more than others. I think it was one that I I hadn't seen in years though. Hard to beat that opening of the swamp with Kermit playing Rainbow Connection. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. It's just, it's it's perfect and like that's that song. Uh, there are covers of it I really enjoy. I really enjoy the Dixie Chicks cover, like I said, and it's. Um, I thought you were kidding. <laughs> I didn't realize there wasn't. That's why I said the the Metallica thing. <laughs> oh no, the uh, the Eminem thing. Uh, well, that that was funny though. Like at the idea that they he performed it, you know, with the best original song nomination or something. <laughs> Speaking of which, remember that bullshit of that was like the first year they didn't have the best original songs performed, or the first year in a long time, the year that Mm -hmm. Man and Muppet was nominated, because everyone's like, oh, how are they going to do that? They won't. (laughs) They won't. It'll just win, though. It's one of those that I fear sometimes that people will undersell because it is for a quote-unquote kids movie, but that is like a wonderful original Hollywood song and contribution to the pop culture zeitgeist but you know the the reveal of him playing there the whole body thing and now that we know after we talked about this was the first time that a puppet had been seen from the waist down it was just kind of like from an artistic standpoint really just kind of like an amazing opening here like the opening riff of a great song here it is this is what we're doing this is what we're capable of in this movie and then on top of this here's this great song to me it just kind of sets the tone for it and then yeah we just get into a lot of classic muppet style stuff and um it's really simple it's a really simple movie it's just like here's how everyone got together and here's what the muppets are known for and especially now uh self-referential humor and cameos um you and i both expressed numerous times that self-referential humor can get very exhausting and um just to the point of like turning us off from things what in your like mind's eye what to you is different about when it's done the way the muppets do it than some of the other stuff that we've talked about that kind of like turns us off you know be it the the apatow universe or <laughs> uh family guy shit like that 
to me, there's like an air of innocence and everything, but I'd like to hear you because you're a big Muppets person as well. What separates them? What makes it different when they do that kind of shit? I think that first and foremost is that it's the Muppets doing it. Well, I mean, innocence is right. I, I think that because I care so much and I like the characters so much that I find it very endearing when when it happens. I don't find it smug, which is the problem with something that, you know, if you see it these days or whenever it bothers me is because I, I feel like it's a, it comes with this sort of a, generally feels like whoever is breaking the fourth wall is kind of like patting themselves on the back yep. for doing it. There's like this and, air of, you know, this word innocence because I wanted to use the end of the yang of like cynicism or kind of yeah. like. Haha, <laughs> fuck you. You're here anyway, so you have to hear this shit. <laughs> yeah, with the Muppets, it's just, it just feels because I have that, that for one, I'm more willing to give them the sort of like the benefit of the doubt or whatever. You know, I'm not resistant to them being a little meta and it makes me laugh more easily because it's them. And it's, if Kermit is breaking the fourth wall, I just automatically, regardless of the content, I'll find it. I'm more inclined to find it funny versus. I don't know who breaks a fourth wall these days, you know, like, I don't know, some asshole comedian. (laughs) I'm sorry, but today you just have to try harder and the Muppets don't because the Muppets are the Muppets. So they have that going for them. But also overall, generally, I find them very clever and also they don't overdo it. They don't overdo it. And also they have so much more going on. They have so much more in their bag of tricks. So it's not just this thing where it's like constant meta references and constant uh, pop culture references. No, there's also so much more that they bring to their to their stories, to their comedy. So I think that's the thing. Sometimes I feel like the, uh, the sort of like meta textual comedy is just a crutch because there's not much more going on. It, it mm-hmm. movie or TV show or whatever. But in this case, it's like, no, it's just one of the many things that they do. So that's why I also appreciate it. It is pretty absurd at times, and I love it for it. I also know that that can be too much for some people. <laughs> I was telling you before we started recording that my wife was kind of like in and out of it, coming in and checking, and she was like in the other room, but she kept like paying attention. But at some point she was sitting next to me, and it was when uh, Fozzie and Kermit were ready in the road trip. And I think it's in the middle of the song of, uh, is it called Moving Right Along? Is that it? Moving Right Along. Yeah. God, I love that song. <laughs> First time I've heard it, but I was just, I was bopping. But anyway, at some point they're driving and they've gone through so much ridiculous shit. And I think it's during the song that Kermit tells Fossey to take a right at the fork or take a left at the fork. And, and there's uh, an actual fork in the road. Right. But before that, you know, before you see that reveal, he just goes, uh, take a right at the fork. And then my wife says, oh, he's going to take a, he's going to take a left. And then we cut to the, <laughs> to the actual fork on the road. <laughs> And she goes, oh, it's an actual fork. And I said, yes, that's why the Muppets are so awesome. <laughs> Kermit says something too, like, would you look at that? Or, you know, I've never seen that before. <laughs> so I like that. I like the, the, the absurdity that is throughout the the entire movie, I think, makes it also just so much smoother when they do something like, oh, and here's the, the screenplay. Or, you know, when Kermit looks at the camera and goes like, oh, a running gag. It's Oh, this is a running gag. It's just, it just feels of a piece with everything else that, that happens with the Muppets, you know, throughout the franchise. But also, I guess we're, you know, speaking of like the spirit of the Muppets too, because I I think it's fair to to tackle this this early in the Muppethon, the first movie. I'm like, How do you feel about Kermit? Because I, I know that I like him primarily uh, because 
I tend to like the kind of the the leader characters in fiction yeah. and kind of like the you know the the straight character that is not as silly or as quirky as the people around him. So of course Kermit plays a role and especially kind of being introduced to him as the the guy that was the leader of the TV show. He was he was the guy that was orchestrating everything. And so I know I, I liked him because of that. And then as I've grown older, I've kind of appreciated now his when he's funny on top of being just the, the straight man. But he gets he, he hit so many funny lines in this movie. Uh, that was actually surprised by how much he was making me laugh. Um, it's so weird because he is like a fucking hand puppet. But like the delivery, like this one, the, the verbal delivery, Jim Henson with like the straight man dialogue, but also just like it is an art with those puppets, the way they can like contort his face and stuff and just make his expressions real. I've always enjoyed him for the comedy of him being the straight man, you know, having to keep be the level head amongst everybody. And then also the whole thing with him and Piggy, how he always becomes like verklempt and overwhelmed when talking to her. And she's like this domineering personality and whatnot there. Like you said, the leader. And one of the things I've always loved about the Kermit character is like, he's not selfish to a fault. He wants everything to be good for everyone else. And that's obviously Mm -hmm. why the Muppets have had some problems in some of these movies they've done and stuff like that is because he can't satisfy everyone all the time, which is what he wants to do. And that's something that I can relate to very much. And that's something that is so powerful about the Muppets and this movie. That's one of the things we brought up in the first portion. If by the end of this, you don't get that it doesn't matter what you look like or what it is you do or who you are. There's, there's going to be someone out there who loves you and understands you for who you are. Then you completely miss the point of the movie. Um, but that doesn't resonate necessarily with you as a kid. It's just more fun and funny to watch these types of things. And consistently, the Muppets have done that in a way that is not really rivaled. You know, we talk about like Pixar movies and some uh, animated movies and, you know, live action Disney movies that are really well made and they stay good into your adult years and into for the remainder of your life. And you find new things to appreciate about them. Muppets are kind of unparalleled in a lot of that. And I think we'll really have a better understanding of that uh, when we get to the end of the Muppethon. Uh, but it definitely they started off on such a good foot with this in terms of setting the groundwork with their style of comedy, but also their ability to have aspects of storytelling and beats that they hit that resonate no matter your age, things that everyone can relate to. And I I circle that back to the whole Kermit thing, because me personally, I can relate so very much to some of the things Kermit goes through in these movies uh, that I've seen that will discuss that type of thing. Like I said, just from a, uh, a base level. I think Rolf is my favorite because he's so laid back and he's kind of a smart ass and he's a, just a dog, <laughs> which also I think is awesome because uh, I'm such a fucker, <laughs> fucking sucker for dogs. But uh, I can see, I can see a lot of you and Kermit too. So that that makes a lot of sense that you enjoy him. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> oh, it definitely is a compliment. <laughs> I mean, other than maybe I haven't seen all the Muppets movies, but. Uh, I mean, I feel like he's always the one leading the the story. Maybe not uh, the Gonzo one that we mentioned, um, Muppets in Space. I think that's very much Gonzo's story yeah. from what I remember watching. I mean, like I said, I didn't finish that movie, but uh, you know, this one, Muppets Take Manhattan. Of course, the, the two more recent ones. Uh, whenever they're not obviously adapting some sort of like famous story, like Treasure Island or Wizard of Oz or 
Christmas Carol. Yeah, I, I'm always, if I think Muppets, I think of Kermit first and foremost. And I started watching this movie, kind of like trying to put myself in the context of, oh, this is the first time that we see him outside of the TV show. Just going back to the opening, that has to be, that has to have been a very special, magical sort of thing to, uh, not just the reveal of seeing his full body, but also to get to hear that full song in that setting and with a character that's become so special. And then now it's him making the jump to the big screen and kind of, you know, just stretching his horizons. And they really get to, I mean, it's not like he goes through this massive uh, character arc in a way, you know, like the biggest thing that happens is just he kind of loses his faith at one point in the movie and then he regains it. But but that's about it. And, and it's not like I needed anything else from that. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay for a character to not be any more complicated than that, and it, it still works, you know? Absolutely. Cameos, who's your favorite? Mel Brooks, for sure. And it oh, was yeah. probably obvious from how I... I couldn't help but uh, just gush over him in Contrarian's Corner. <laughs> and, I think I mentioned it twice already. I need to reiterate the joke, the F-O-R-G. That's that's <laughs> high comedy. Well, he's just so he has an advantage which is that he he gets more screen time than any other cameo i think but the energy and he i mean, I mean we mentioned it i think on the facebook preview but yes everybody that shows up in a mappet movie even if they're there for five seconds they're there they look like they're having a good time but mel brooks in particular here struck me as somebody who was having a blast i think that there is and this is not a hot take, but so there's an art to interacting with Muppets. And it's not like anybody bombs here when it comes to interacting with them, but you can tell the difference between what Mel Brooks is doing when he's talking to Kermit uh, versus, I don't know, like Steve Martin. Like, you know, Steve Martin was funny, but he was not. I felt like Steve Martin was acting with a puppet, and I felt like Mel Brooks was acting with another actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, again, the, the script gives him more to do, but still, this maybe because Mel Brooks is just so crazy, like on that level, that maybe it feels like it's almost like he's a, a muppet himself. Yeah, that when you say that, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, since it's not going to come up in the Muppethon, I make a, a reference to um, the 2011 one. Emily Blunt's cameo in that is the good side of what you're talking about there. The way she interacts with them and everything, it's just. Because she like, do you remember her cameo in that? Yeah, she's uh, it's kind of like a riff on her uh, Devil Wears Prada character, right? She's in Devil Wears Prada. I thought that was Anne Hathaway. Yeah, but uh, Emily Blunt plays the uh, sort of she's Anne Hathaway's coworker who's ah, never plays, seen it. Uh, Got to be honest. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's it's a similar character because in the, in the Muppets movie, she's like uh, the receptionist, right? She's um, keeping them from seeing someone. <laughs> yeah, just the. And they do the, designer the with, just with, yeah, when they walk in, just the way she looks at them and like eyes them up and down, and Kermit's <laughs> like, she's a Piggy's assistant. That's it. He's like, we need to see Miss, Miss Piggy. Yeah. It's urgent. And she goes, oh, is it urgent? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that they were gonna do uh, Muppet Man here when they uh, when the receptionist when uh, Cloris Leachman wasn't letting them in. I was like, oh my god, are we gonna see Muppet Man? <laughs> Just waiting for it. Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm already kind of exhausting some of my big overarching points here, so I don't want to do that too much. But like I mentioned already, I've, I've never seen, and this may change 
We're going to be doing some of these that I'm seeing for the first time, but so far I've not seen a celebrity be, you know, the the degree of the performances may vary, but I've never seen someone do a cameo in these where they didn't look like they were having a great time. So it's, it's a simple movie and it, it's exactly what it needs to be. And you know, the, the formula of the Muppets movie is something that we're going to delve into the further along we go with this. But it, you know, without being too retrospective about this, it, it really I don't know how they could have really started off on a better foot from, you know, launching their movie empire than this. It sets the table for what you can expect moving forward, but it also doesn't really do too much. So there's no risk of like missteps or anything. And it's just funny. I love so much the way they tell their movies, the way they tell their stories, the, you know, in something like this, that when something comes up, like, uh, when did Rolf join them or, you know how did animal get back to size we can joke like we joked about it in the first portion because they've already established the rules don't really apply you know like the way they do in other movies and it's they have the characters reading the screenplay for christ's sake so it's just kind of like you just accept it and what you said if this movie has you you know as it did with both you and i that just adds to it being funnier i guess the other part of the formula is the songs so do you have a favorite song in this movie? Moving right along is great. Uh, I'm going to try when we do these, I'm going to try to keep the exclusivity to, you know, the, a song from the specific movie. Cause obviously rainbow connection, well, yeah, for yeah, example, yeah. or like when we get to Muppets take Manhattan together again, those span multiple movies. So for this one, uh, yeah, probably moving right along. It's such an earworm, but also just encompasses so many things that I'm a sucker for. You know, I'm a sucker for montages, especially when it applies to road trips and shit like that. So I was just, I, I had a ball watching this. California to become the pie in the skyland. Palm trees and warm sand. Though Sammy, we just left Rhode Island. We did what? Just forget it. I'm moving right along. Hey, LA, where have you gone? I kept laughing because at first I wasn't sure, but the song kept going and going and it kept getting sillier and sillier. Just the things that they keep encountering as they drive. (laughs) They just take them in stride and they just keep going. (laughs) Yeah, I'll probably pick that as well. I really like the the song where they painted the car, but not as much as... Well, also because moving right along kind of like plays in the background at other times in the movie. So it feels more like... I think when I think of this song for the the first Muppets movie, I'm probably going to think of that one along with, you know, Rainbow Connection. But that's... Like you said, that that is not eligible. That is something else. It's like, the, it's like saying your favorite song from fucking Attack of the Clones is the Imperial March. It's like, bitch, that's in every <laughs> single one of those movies. <laughs> ah! A bear in his natural habitat. A Studebaker. I guess when we get to the end, we'll uh, we'll just have a, like an overall pick for you know best cameo, best movie, and and so on. But yeah, um, I'm trying to really yeah consolidate my thoughts to this one specifically because uh, it's with something like this, it's so easy to just get lost in talking about oh, well, this one and this one, that type of thing. One of the things I'm so excited for for this is when I watched this, I texted you, Julio. I was like, this movie's fucking forty years old, and you know with the exception of like cell phones and maybe some of the models of the cars, it could be made today and look the same. And I'm so excited to watch, to go through this Muppet thon, these movies that we're going to watch because that's something you can count on. They, they, the universality of them. It's not that they never didn't 
acclimate to the times or you know upgrade or something like that it's just like this is how it was meant to be it's something that's self-sustaining and i don't know i know that sounds so nerdy and that also comes from a place of me just loving practicality and you know the effort that goes into doing this and the art behind it all these puppets and uh the art of someone to man these and to have the not only the the voice to go with it but you know matching expressions and things like that uh, it's something I have never really thought of, and I kind of took for granted when it came for these, and it made me more excited to to go through, you know, this this series that we're going to. I was uh, kind of like to take it back to the the Muppet Show because it's not something that we're gonna, you know, keep touching on. And I might have told this story when we were at uh, movie reviews in twenty Qs with with Sam doing the twenty eleven movie. But when I got my wisdom teeth removed, I was kind of like drugged up for a couple of days, and uh, all I could do was just like be in in bed watching TV, and. Uh, my wife got me the first three seasons of the show. Like the, she found the box sets and she bought them. I already said like it's not like she's a big fan of the Muppets, but she knew that I was a fan. So, man, you have not lived until you are high on painkillers watching the Muppets show on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful experience. <laughs> that's it's just the perfect combination you know how some people say that you you need to do drugs and watch i don't know natural born killers or one of those trippy movies 2001 Uh, no muppets the 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 muppets show getting back to some of the things that i said in katrina's corner i was not aware of uh the secret origins i guess of you know some of the relationships and whatever I, i don't know how much of this is canon maybe you do i mean i don't know how much of the the things that are established in this movie are things that are going to be consistent with what happens in stuff like muppets take manhattan and even you know the more recent bad uh, muppet movies but i i had a a good time just kind of seeing oh this is the first time that kermit and fozzy met and this is the first time that they met gonzo and miss piggy and this is where you know what she was doing when they first met her and uh that is something that, like, I don't think that's going to happen in any other Muppet movie unless they do a complete reboot. Although you still always have kind of like the element of uh, catching up with them and seeing where they are now. I mean, definitely the 2011 version does that, you know, all throughout. Yeah. Uh, but that was cool. You know, just them finding Rolf at this bar <laughs> and Kermit meets him after he's been, uh, he thinks that Miss Piggy just bailed on him on their date. I mean, that, that kind of stuff is just, it's pretty geeky. You know, I mean, imagine... It was geeky enough if you were watching it as somebody that was a fan of the show back in 1979, but as somebody that's a fan of the franchise now and who has never seen that, I was geeking out just seeing you know their secret origins. Yeah, it it was a really good idea in my opinion and a good step. Like the way it was told at the beginning, it's established these people all know each other because obviously the show had existed up until this point. But then these characters made this movie together that explains how they met each other. And this movie is as simple or as layered as you want it to be. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's part of its brilliance. So we definitely opened with a bang here. Started off about as high as we can go. Uh, We're going to be moving along to one of the rotten entries here in our next episode, The Muppets Wizard of Oz, which I've never seen before. It's fairly recent. Looks like from 2005. Back on the good side of the coin, Muppets Take Manhattan, which is my favorite one. Uh, Happy Time Murders, Muppets Most Wanted. Those are all in the near future. Uh, But like I said, the the most important takeaway is we started here uh, where we should have, but also on a very big high note. So excited 
uh, for the future discussions that this is going to bring. No surprise. I give this an A. For what it is, it's just about flawless. Uh, flew by. The first time I paused it was uh, to get up and use the restroom. And uh, it was like an hour and two minutes into it. And there was, you know, only 25 minutes left. It was like, holy shit. Just absolutely in a flash went by. And I had such a great time watching it. We'll uh, we'll recap these when we get to the end of this journey to kind of see how far on the ends of the spectrum we went with this. But Julio, what are you giving this one? So I'm, I'm having trouble giving it a rating because on one end, I agree with you that it's, it's basically flawless. But at the same time, it's not uh, The Muppets 2011. And so yeah. I'm just kind of like, do I grade it on The Muppets curve? And is that even fair? There was something that I said in a trans corner that is not entirely inaccurate, and that is that the cameos are not as powerful as if I was somebody that grew up around that time. I recognize him, and I I have a good time just kind of like, oh, it's Madeline Kahn. Oh, it's like Telly Savalas. But it's not the same as when a more contemporary Muppet movie makes me go like, oh, that's Jim from The Office. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I believe, I mean, this might change by the time we're done, but I believe that Muppets 2011 is just like the pinnacle of Muppets movies. So that's like the five star. That's the roof. And then everything else kind of like either meets that or it goes a little lower. So so I completely get that. That's why this gets an A and not an A+. An A+, right? Yeah. So, so really my real thing is like, Four or four and a half, because if I end up liking Muppets Take Manhattan more than this one, but not as much as uh, the Muppets 2011, you know, how much room do I give myself? (laughs) Ooh, got to build in some buffer room. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm like, come on, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Don't sweat the the star rating. It's becoming my motto. Man, I'm going to go with four and a half. I fucking love this movie. I was just, it's... I called it comfort food, I think, earlier during the intro, mm-hmm. and uh, it's that's just what it is. I, I know Kelly thought that I was losing my mind because she could, at some point, she was upstairs. I think that's why she came downstairs because she could hear me laughing, <laughs> and I was fully aware that I was laughing at times at some really silly shit, but it was still, you know, really, really good and creative. And so, yeah, four and a half, and uh, maybe by the time it's all over, I'll just five star every Muppet movie that I like because I just love the franchise so much. Just retroactively like, five star in it. Yeah. Well I'll be like, you know, four and a half first watch, rewatch maybe makes it to five stars. All right. So that has kicked off the Muppethon. We have wrapped the nineteen seventy nine Muppet movie, the original that is bold and plain as day on Disney Plus. We're gonna be uh <laughs> speeding up into the future to two thousand five with the Muppets Wizard of Oz. That is on deck next. But for now, for the interim That's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarian. So now we're going to move on into our perennial plugs. We always start by giving a thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothwieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our merch. Uh, The man is very talented. He has two podcasts, Nación Combi and uh, Marginal. Uh, one's about Peruvian current affairs. The other one is about economy. He also has a website where you can access all his other work. That's at mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com. 
check out all his other work. He has written a whole bunch of novels, a bunch of zombie novels, and he's an artist. Reach out to him if you want to commission something or if you just want to talk about zombies or economy or Doctor Who. He's responsible for our Doctor Who episode, too. Uh, Hans, thank you for all your support. And thank you to Ms. Zoe Perez, who helps curate our social media game. Uh, if you haven't already and you're on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash contrarianprime. Give us a like or a follow. It's one of those two. Uh, Zoe helps edit some exclusive videos for our Facebook account. Uh, videos of us previewing, talking about trivia, just general discussion about the movies that we're covering. And she also operates our Instagram account. So if you have the IG, be sure to follow us. We're at contrarianprime. She posts video clips, audio clips, interactive graphics, cool things that neither Julio nor I have the facilities for. Uh, so, Zoe, we appreciate all the work that you do for us. And we appreciate you, our listening public. We hope you enjoyed the beginning of the Muppethon and will continue to be with us throughout it. But with all that said, that is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Waka waka. Waka waka. <laughs>